Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Fagala, and this morning I'm very excited that Kevin Betts will be with us to teach on how to share the gospel. If you've been listening the last couple weeks, we've done two other Christian disciplines, and the lessons were how to read your Bible and how to pray. And then this week we'll be looking at how to share the gospel, something that Christians, myself included, maybe we don't do as much as we should, and so I think it helps to look at it from a practical standpoint. After today's lesson, we will actually have a few weeks off as we do some more lessons on Christian intimacy, where appropriate, certainly uh, we'll podcast that, but it may be that we take a few weeks off, but then we'll be back together again after that. But for today, I'm very excited for Kevin to come to us with a lesson on how to share the gospel. So let's go to Kevin now. You're live. All right. All right. Uh, it's good to be uh, in here today. Um, so, all right, let me, let me open up all this first. Uh, if you want, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Um, we'll, we'll start there. So, I do want to do this disclaimer because apparently the lesson is how to share the gospel, but David told me it was how to make disciples. Kind of the same thing, but I just want to <laughs> oh, wow. throw, throw that out there. Uh, so, maybe my terminology might be a little bit different. But uh, when the term just, it, there's a lot of echo in here right now, it seems like. Okay. Uh, so it, when you hear how to make disciples, you hear discipleship, something along that frame, what comes to mind? Relationship. Yeah, relationship. What else? Mentor. Mentor, yeah. Intentionality. He read the board. Process. <laughs> uh, process. Mm-hmm. Sort of like you know, maturing process to growth. Mm-hmm. What are um, what are some hurdles to discipleship or make or sharing the gospel? Either one. Mm-hmm. Why does it feel forced? I don't know. I think maybe because we approach it from backwards, you know, like I think we should approach it from like a love for that person and a natural relationship for that person and a desire for them to know God. And maybe we're like approaching it more as like, I need to know how I need to do that, you know? Yeah. And so then it makes it feel like it's not. But I think both parts of that are yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? What are what are some other hurdles? Fear of rejection. Fear, definitely. I think that's a I think that's a huge one. I think it's mostly about urgency. I think what we do day to day is whatever is most urgent or pressing on us, and this is not. You know, it's like well, you need to do that later, even if it's something you want to do. Mm-hmm. We don't prioritize it. Priority. Okay. Anybody else? Laziness, yep. You know that it's going to require more than just one time inviting somebody. To if you're successful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the lack of success is not near as big a fear as success because it involves long-term relationships. With yeah. 
Anyone else? So a lot of times we're lacking. <laughs> Anybody else? I think sometimes um, feeling like you're not being the best disciple. Like I think of it in terms of raising kids, like raising <coughs> disciples, and they see your, all of your flaws when you're raising them. So sometimes you're like, well, I'm not being the best example. So that can be a hurdle, like your mm-hmm. own, um, your own inconsistency. I guess. Yep thought of something so uh anybody else is that the right one i'm just gonna say this is not something that you see immediate results and yeah sometimes we're like results driven people we want to see someone transform from not a disciple to a disciple and that's not an overnight process like they were saying so it's not something you can meet with someone and see that see that transition Um, so I kind of just wanted to do like level set, like all of these are things we're aware of um, and just kind of go ahead and get those out on the forefront uh, because hopefully we can kind of just talk through a lot, of, a lot of those things, a lot of the fears, a lot of the, the hurdles um, and really get to, I think several of you kind of hit on it, but just the, the whole foundation of discipleship, sharing the gospel comes from relationships. Uh, and I think a lot of times we, if you've ever been in a maybe discipling or mentoring relationship with somebody, you might, in, or tr- anytime you've tried to do that, I, I know just from experience, sometimes it becomes easy to think of them as a disciple or a mentee when rather than a brother, you know, brother, sister, son, daughter. And when you look in scripture, uh, you know, we're called like brothers and sisters. And then you look at when Paul, when he's writing to some of the men that he clearly had a discipling relationship with and Timothy and Titus, he refers to them as my dear son in the faith. And so there's this relationship aspect of their relationship, which is redundant, but there, I think that if we make it something other than one of those relationships, we begin to lose sight of the purpose because it's not, because I, I think there's a lot of, there's kind of been a re- generation of focus of this word discipleship, I feel like, in churches recently. And I think the fear or, or one of the unintended consequences of that is that we think that it's now like a, a, um, a course that somebody takes or that it is something that somebody can graduate out of. It's like, okay, they've been in a discipleship relationship and then they, after a year, two years, now it's for time for them to, to move on and disciple somebody else and they're done with that relationship. And that's not, that's not it. Uh, I think the importance of, of thinking through it and through the lens of, you know, a, a brother of yours or a sister or a son or a daughter is that you don't ever graduate out of one of those relationships. There's not a point in your life, even once you, I don't have kids, but I know a lot of you do, and whenever you get to have kids, you don't cease to be someone's son or daughter now that you have your own relationship where somebody is your son or daughter that relationship continues and you it'll, it'll it'll mold and shift and, and look different over time but it's not something that you graduate out of so it, it takes a lot of energy 
we all know from any relationship that we have that is a brother or sister, sometimes you get on each other's nerves and you want to kill each other. But it doesn't matter to what extent. There's always going to be a desire for that relationship to be there. And I think the same thing is true in discipleship, unless we divorce it from the fact and try to look at them as like a, a project rather than a relationship um, to uh, be in relation with. So I think the obvious passage that we go to whenever we think of, think of this is the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28. Uh, and I think just for a second, going back to all of these, uh, the fears that we have when it comes to sharing the gospel or to making disciples is, um, Martha, I think you mentioned, but just don't, that fear of not knowing enough and, and something like that. And I think that there's this there's a definitely a misunderstanding that we got to have it all right before we can start. And um, that's not something that we see Jesus say in Scripture. Um, and so we'll, we'll look at that in just a second. And I think, because I think a lot of times we get hung up on, we want to make sure that we've got our theology right on this issue before we start doing anything. Um, when the reality is the, the whole theology of discipleship, we can do it in 15 seconds. We're getting ready to do it, okay? So Jesus is God. He loved us so much that he came down to earth and died for us so that we may have life through his spirit. And he said, go make disciples. That's, that's the theology of it. And so it's not that we don't know that we, whether or not we need to be doing it or should be doing it. It's what we know. It intellectually is not the, not the issue. Um, a lot of times I think is that we try to transmit head knowledge to people when the reality is we, want, we desire and yearn for those part. Um, and that's where discipleship gets messy. <laughs> that's where it takes a lot more time and energy uh, than a lot of times we want to give. Because it's easy to say, all right, I can meet with this person for, a week, for a, an hour each week, and we can talk about something out of Scripture, and intellectually we can get a better, more accurate understanding of who God is and what he wants for us. But that's not discipleship. Discipleship is when somebody is walking through darkness and they don't know where to go and they don't know what they need to do next and even if you don't know what they need to do next you're there with them and you're walking with them um i just think back to like you know when i was a kid um and trying to sleep at night i you know i i had a fear uh, of the dark which we probably all do at, at one point and so whenever you're scared of the dark what do you do you turn the light on, or what, when you were a kid, what was something you may have done? Go to your mom and dad. Now, the reality is, when you went to your mom and dad, did they turn on the light, or did they, were you still in the dark? Still in the dark, but what, why did that make you feel better? Because they were with you, and you knew that they cared about you, that they loved you, and they were for you. Um, and I think that that's a big piece of discipleship, is it's not necessarily that you have all the answers, or that they know all the answers. Um, the reality is, is that they need somebody, and we all yearn for these relationships where when you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do next, somebody else is just there with you, even if they don't know exactly. They may have been a little bit further along in life and may have an idea of how to direct you, but they don't know exactly how your life's going to turn out. But what they do know, but what you care about is that they love you and that they're for you. Um, and I think that's what discipleship is about. So uh, let's go ahead and read just because I, I think it's important. Let's read uh, Matthew twenty-eight sixteen through 20. And I have somebody that can read that. I'll be glad to. Okay. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yep. So that's, that's the obvious. I think that's the thing that comes to mind mostly whenever I think of discipleship or making disciples, just that the Great Commission. Um, and I think, so Jesus gave the disciples the Great Commission, it says when they were in Galilee. And um, that wasn't the last time that, that he saw them. He didn't go, he didn't ascend then. You know, we'll read in just a second in Luke 24. This is right before his ascension. And so it's, it's at a time later whenever he's, they've been walking from Jerusalem to Bethany, which is a little bit outside of Jerusalem. And this is the last thing that he says to the disciples before he's taken up. So this is Luke 24, 44 through 49. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. All right, so what was this power from on high? Holy Spirit. Um, So kind of just making sure that we we hit on this. So there's no such thing as as an expert. There's not a course that you go to. There's not a set of studies that you go to before you can disciple what we see here from what uh, Luke writes down of what Jesus said is he told them to go and be his, wit- be his witnesses. This is after he's already told them to go and make disciples. But then he says, before you do that, though, go to Jerusalem. And the purpose for going to Jerusalem and waiting was, again, for the Holy Spirit. So if we were to go forward into Acts, which is just the next book that Luke wrote, you have in, in Acts 1.8, you would see, Uh, Jesus say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses starting in Jerusalem and then all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So again, in Acts, Luke reiterates the fact that, hey, they're waiting in Jerusalem and they're waiting for this power that will come upon them. And it's this power that will then empower them to go and be disciple makers and to share the gospel to, to the ends of the earth. And what do we see at Pentecost? And, and how does it happen? Miraculously, There's this power that very clearly did not come from them. And, and what's one sure sign that like that power did not come from, from them in, the, in that uh, sermon that, that Peter gave? The speaking of all the tongues, right? Yeah, yeah, there's the speaking in, in all of these different languages. And so it wasn't that Jesus said, okay, you're going to wait in Jerusalem, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and then I want you to go to language school for about two years until you know the language of this other nation really well, and then I want you to share the good news of how people, how Jesus loved us so much, he came to earth, and that we should repent and turn to him and be saved. He, said, he just said, go to Jerusalem, you'll get the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit provided the power that they needed to proclaim the good news to everybody that they needed to hear it. Um, and I know none of us have probably spoken in tongues recently. Um, but the same thing is true in that whatever power you need in order or whatever energy or whatever assuredness that you need to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and to make disciples is going to require a power that is something that you, that you don't have in of yourself. 
And so that's why the only prerequisite to sharing the gospel, to making disciples that Jesus laid out in Scripture is receiving the Holy Spirit. Because inevitably, it's not about the power that you have in of yourself in your bones to do it, but it's a power that God puts inside of you that empowers you to go out. And, and I think that you see this from the very first moment that the Spirit comes on the scene in, in, at Pentecost. Because there is nothing about what Peter was timid and had, and had run and had denied Jesus in front of three different people right after he said that I'll, that I'll die for you. So it wasn't that, that Peter was full of this power and assurance inside of himself. They were all huddled together, hiding in an upper room in Jerusalem, and then they receive the power, and then they have this boldness inside of them to go out and proclaim the good news to where they then will ultimately, all of the disciples that were aware of outside of John, were killed for their faith. And so they received this power that was one that was not of themselves. And so I think that's part of the reason that we, we have fear when it comes to sharing the gospel and to making disciples is that we're fearful because we think that we're not enough and that we don't know enough and that we don't have the, enough time to spend and that we are not cool enough or that we uh, might mess up. And the reality is all of those things are true. <laughs> but you have been given the Spirit of God that rose Jesus from the dead and He lives inside of you. And because of that, we have the power to go out and we don't have to be fear. We don't have to be timid because of that. Um, and I, I think that the more that we hear that, the more that we realize that and the more that we pray for that power to be made evident in our lives, the less fear that we'll have. Because we know uh, John will write in First John about how perfect love casts out fear. And so the more that we experience the power and the love of Christ and His Spirit work in our lives, that fear is going to dwindle. It's going to go away. Um, so, uh, kind of, so there's no such thing as an expert. All we need is a spirit. Uh, so discipleship, uh, this is a quote that I saw in something I was reading for this, and I, I thought it was really good. Um, I think it's good if we have the definitions of something because it kind of gives us something to frame our mindset around. And this is one that I saw that I really liked. Um, and I didn't write down who wrote it, so sorry about that. But uh, discipleship is really just a bunch of church members taking responsibility to prepare one another for glory. Um, there's a, I also try to come up with my own definition, but since this guy was probably more, you know, certified than me, I wanted to put his up on the board. Uh, I think discipleship is lovingly, patiently, and intentionally preparing your brother or sister for flourishing. Um, and I want to kind of break that down in a little bit too. But I think, I think one of the main ideas is preparing someone to flourish. And I think that that's important because everybody's different. And flourishing is going to look different for me than it will look like for you than it will look for somebody else. And um, I think one of the mistakes that a lot of times we make in discipleship is that there's this cookie-cutter framework of what discipleship looks like or sharing the gospel looks like. And that may or may not match up with what our gifts are, which means that it probably, if that's the case, it's not going to match up with how you were meant to flourish. And so flourishing, I think, looks different for everybody. Uh, the, the thing that will be present for everybody, though, are the fruits of the Spirit. So we may have gifts of, somebody may have a gift of teaching or of preaching, or somebody may just have an awesome gift of hospitality where every time somebody, they walk into the room, they make everybody feel like the most special person on the planet. And it, or it may be a whole host of other things, maybe leading worship and just encouragement and all of this, these different things. Um, but if we try to disciple in a way that is... Uh, a rigid cookie cutter approach, 
which I think sometimes we can fall into because we've had one person maybe disciple us and we think that, okay, we then need to do exactly what they did for us. And the reality is we're, we're all different and God made us with different gifts, different abilities. And us being the most flourishing Christian that God has in store for us is going to look slightly different for everybody. But what will be present are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I think that if we, if we prepare one another in a way that, if we look, if we try to discern how to disciple somebody in a way or how to share the gospel in a way that we see those fruits in their life, I think that's gonna be a better indication of if they're flourishing than whether or not they are a good teacher or a good preacher or, does that, does that make sense? Um, and so I, I think that that's something to um, keep in mind. Um, let me pull this back up. So there's, there's also something else that was brought up before about one of the kind of fears that we have is maybe not having enough time um, or energy uh, to, to disciple or to share the gospel. And I think the thing about that is that if we've been given the Spirit, I think that our lives are gonna, be, are gonna look different at different points, and we're gonna have different amounts of free time to do this outside of work, or uh, you know, if you've, got, if you've got kids, your time is a lot more constrained than what mine is, or somebody whose kids have already gotten up out of, out of the house. And so I think that our lives and the way that we share the gospel and um, the way that we intentionally make disciples of people that we know is going to look different throughout our lives. And so I think that's another reason that it's important not to kind of view it as a cookie cutter approach because here's the other thing too, is if you have kids, they should be your primary focus on discipleship. They literally are around you all the time. And you have that opportunity where they're, they're with you. So regardless of if you mean to or not, you're making a little disciple of something, you know? Um, they're, they're watching you. And I think that comes to this intentionality is all of us, without us even realizing it, are in relationships where we can be discipling someone. Because there are people in our lives that we view as brothers or sisters, even if they're not biologically. There's, there are... There's somebody in your life, even if they're not a biological brother or sister, that you view as a brother or sister. Or it may be that there's somebody in your life that you view as a son or a daughter, even if they're not your biological son or daughter. And if we just intentionally think about it through, okay, like how can I help them flourish for what Christ has in store for them? I think it's that intentional, like viewing the relationships that we already have and looking how can I help them flourish for the kingdom of God. And I think that it's in that that we begin to have a shift in our thinking. Because I think a lot of times we think that it's like, oh, well, discipleship's not happening. You know, it's, we're not doing this in our church or we're not yada, yada, yada. And the reality is there are already all of this web of relationships present. And it may be that we're already doing these things. We're not just using the language of it. But even if we're not intentionally doing it, if we just intentionally think about the relationships that we have in our lives and how we can help that man or woman flourish for the kingdom, that's what it, that's what it is. I mean, when, it, when you break it down, and depending on the time that we have, 
Um, you know, there, there's there's a couple of guys in our 222 class that I meet with on a, on a weekly basis and we'll study scripture and that kind of thing. And the reason we can do that is because currently we're in a place where we can meet for an hour or so before work one day and, and do that. Well, there's probably going to be a time in my life, like whenever me and Shelby decide to start having kids, where that's not going to, we're not probably not going to be able to meet as regularly with somebody. So the way that looks is going to shift. But there's also other people that I don't meet with every week, but we check in on one another. And I, like, I think through, like, okay, how can we like, help this person flourish? Like, what does flourishing look like for, and have people in mind? Because, I mean, I can go through, you know, all the guys in, in, our, in our class and just think through intentionally trying to help them flourish looks different. Rico flourishing looks different than Elliot flourishing. You know, uh, Mason flourishing looks different than Marcus flourishing. There's all of these different, all these different people with different backgrounds and experience and, 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 and gifts. And so it might mean that some people need to meet at, you know, once a week, and that's something that's really good at that time for them. But it also means that that doesn't mean that that's your limit of who you're discipling. Um, like the scope is the scope is huge because, you know, Jesus called his called the disciples to make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. The, the word there is really peoples, and I think too, like thinking about like all the different types of people that we have. We've got different races, we've got different backgrounds, we've got different education levels. There's all these different things like. And he's called us to disciple everybody. It's not just the people that look, sound, and smell like us. And I think that that's, I think that's important. Um, you know, I, I think this is a little bit of a side thing, but I think that if we can, because it does take intentionality, but intentionally um, think about building the kingdom in a way that heaven's going to look like. So, like, are you involved in people in, in your life that are a different race than you, or a different education level than you, or a different part of town than you are, and how are you living together to help each other flourish? Because um, it, it takes all of the body, not just all the ears or all the eyes, to to grow the kingdom. It takes all of the body. Um. So I, I want to talk about so the lovingly patiently intentionally uh if we go to first corinthians 13 if you want to turn there i know we're probably all familiar with with this the reason i want to i want to talk through this is because if person that you're sharing the gospel with person that you're discipling doesn't know that you love them or and are for them nothing else matters um, because you can transmit all this head knowledge that you want, but when that person's in a bind or that person has a question of what they need to do next in their life, if they don't know that you love them and are for them, they're not going to call you. Uh, the, you know, it's just, I think a lot of times we want to focus on this transmission, transmission of head knowledge. And uh, the reality is, and I already talked about it, but we've got to be intentional about transmitting our hearts. Which means that even if you meet with somebody once a week and y'all study scripture, if you're not also going to a Redbirds game with them or going to a Grizzlies game or going out with them on a Friday night or having them over to grill out, like if you're not doing those things and they think that the, you're, the only part of your relationship is 
meeting together and just studying scripture to gain more knowledge, then your relationship is built on like a performance thing, kind of like a, a teacher or a boss. Like you meet about certain things, but you don't meet about everything. Um, and for a discipleship relationship, for someone to be a brother, a sister, a son or a daughter, it encompasses everything. <laughs> like there's gonna be times when you're involved in somebody's life that they may be on drugs and they go to rehab and you've gotta go and you talk with them while they're in rehab. Or it may mean that they, you just got ready to go to bed and you like lay down and then one of them calls you because they just broke up with their girlfriend for, that they've been dating for a few years and they need to talk about it. Which is not the thing you wanna do at the moment. <laughs> but it's the thing that you, that you have to do because they're your brother. Um, or it, it may mean that something happens and they don't have a home and they need a place to crash for a couple weeks. And it's, it's whenever you get those messy relationships that you can kind of know that you're in a discipleship relationship because those are things that you're going to have to be open to, um, which comes with a lot of humility and it comes with a lot of vulnerability. Um, and, and a lot of... Um, uh, down at the bottom wrote context, but like contextualization, because you've got to meet people where they're at. Um, depending on who, on who you're in a relationship with, if you're not on their level to a certain degree, then it's all about them getting up to yours. And so it becomes, again, just this performance thing. But you've got, like, we've got to be able to meet people where they're at to contextualize and package the gospel in a way that makes sense that they understand and can reproduce. Um, and Another little sidebar real quick. I think we have a lot of like hang up on the word context, contextualization sometimes, because I think we are like, well, you know, the, the gospel is the gospel is the gospel. And if you can't, if you're contextualizing for people, you're going to take away something from it. Um, and I'm not saying you change the gospel, but what I'm saying is, is like God himself even contextualized the good news for us. Like whenever he came in his full glory to the Israelites on Mount Sinai, they were terrified and they ran. Literally, they ran the other way. They said, Moses, we don't want anything to do with this. He terrifies us. And for a couple thousand years, the Israelites kept screwing up and screwing up and screwing up and because they had no idea of what it meant to follow God. They had no idea what it meant. They, they were fearful of him, and they, they ran from his glory because he was too perfect to be in their presence. And they had this overwhelming fear, not like a respect, but like an, a fear. And then they just didn't, follow him, probably because it was easier to follow this man-made image than to follow the guy that created everything. But then God became man. So like he limited himself to our bodies, to our language, to our frame, to all our disease, to our hunger, to our thirsts, all of that so that he could contextualize who he was for us. And so it's not that you're contextualizing to change. Like Jesus didn't change anything about who God was. But he, became, he came in our frame so that we could understand him to know who he was and to be in relationship with him again. And so I think the same thing is true of how we contextualize to whoever we're discipling. It may be that somebody's in our same stage of life, so, it, so it's a lot easier to know how to do that because it might be that whatever you know, hit the mark for you would hit the mark for them. But if you are, and if you've spent any time around teenagers, like I feel like I'm not even that far away from them, but I went to camp and they're completely different than I was when, when I was like 16, you know? Like I, don't even, I didn't even know what Fortnite was, you know? Like I had heard it, but I hadn't seen it. And that's literally all they play. Um, and that's, all, that's like a 10 year age gap, you know? 
Um, but we've all got to be able to con- contextualize and package the gospel in a way that, that makes sense to everybody. Or, or there's no, there, this doesn't, it's not going to translate. Um, got off on a little bit of a tangent there. All right, so 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, so, I, you know, I said the, the only prerequisite that we see in Scripture to making disciples is the Holy Spirit. And I think that's true. Uh, and I think the reason is, is because if your relationship with somebody and, you, and the way that you share the gospel is not on the foundation of love, then it's not going to work. And the only way for you to truly love somebody is for you to be transformed by the Spirit. Because we know that love is the first of the fruit of the Spirit. So without it, how can you love? You might have something that when it's behind a veil sort of looks like love, but if it's not coming from the life that you have in the Spirit, then it's not going to be true love. So think through all of the. So I'm going to start reading in verse 4 of chapter 13 and just think through how all of this would apply in a discipling relationship. So love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So I think that all of those qualities of love are things that we just need to like commit to memory so that it sinks down into our heart in any of our relationships. Because if they're not founded on those things, um, then your relationship is going to be one that's built on, a per- it's going to be performance driven. Um, and uh, yeah, it's probably been said before in here, because uh, I feel like I heard it from Grant, but uh, I don't know who actually said it. but. Uh, the, the quote of anybody that you have to perform for in order to matter, you'll end up resenting. And I just think that that's so true. And so in our relationships, if we are mentoring and discipling somebody and they believe that it's built, that the purpose of that relationship is for their performance, then I bet you they're not going to be as willing to open up about things whenever they have real crap going on, you know? Um, and I think when you look through these uh, different adjectives of, of love, being patient and kind, and it's not being envious and not boasting and not arrogant. Uh, all of those go, come into play in a, in a discipling relationship. We've got to be patient and kind and gentle. Um, and then when you get down to the bottom, the faith, hope, and love, I think that this is really important as well. Um, so Shelby and I have been trying to grow uh, like some stuff in a like raised garden bed which basically is me her telling me what we need to do because i know absolutely nothing i'm a city boy i don't know anything about any of that and uh she grew up on a farm so she's pretty good at it um but something that i've been learning is that each seed that we plant there is a a different end goal for each of those 
Um, the tomato is going to grow differently than the cabbage, which is going to grow differently than the carrots. They need to be harvested at different times. They, some of them need one type of soil, some of them need to be watered X amount of times, and other ones need to be watered a different amount of time. And there's all these differences. And so you start with just the seed. They all look pretty similar. But if you don't have the intention and, and the desire to flourish that one seed specifically and intentionally for how it was meant to, then it's not going to grow appropriately, not going to grow and not going to grow fruit in the way that it should. Um, and I think that that's kind of like this faith, hope, and love. Uh, I think the reason is, is because whenever you see a seed, let's call it a tomato seed, um, whenever you plant that, you have an idea of what it looks like after it's gone through its maturation process. The reason you're planting it is because you want the fruit at the end. Uh, same reason with, with carrots. You plant carrots, you have the carrot in mind, not the seed. And so I think whenever we have relationships with one another, um, this is the way it, I've been thinking about it recently just because of this uh, gardening I'm trying to get better at, is whenever you have somebody that you're in a relationship with, you see what the Spirit will perfect them and mature them into rather than where they're at now. And I think that allows you to have the patience and helps you cultivate the patience in your own life to not get you know, distracted or distraught or disappointed when after three months they're not getting it <laughs> or after a year they're not getting it. Again, it goes back to like, you don't graduate out of a discipleship relationship. Like that's something whenever you take that on, like it's one that's, it's for life. Like you need to always be able, like that, I think that's why the patience thing is so big because if they think that they've got a certain amount of time to get their, right, their life right before you say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash, wash my hands. I'm going to dust my feet off. They're, they're gone. Hopefully somebody else can take over. Um, that's not love, <laughs> you know? Like, it, it really isn't. Um, we've got to be pa- we gotta patiently look for, have faith in what God is going to do through their life and how the Spirit's going to perfect them. Like, you have that hope for them. You, you hope for that tomato seed that it grows into a tomato, you know? Um, and, and so I think that that's why the faith and the hope is so important. Uh, and you look at, in Hebrews, uh, the writer will talk about faith being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. When you plant that seed, you do not see the fruit, but you hope and you yearn for that to be a tomato. <laughs> you hope and you yearn for it to be a carrot. For Those are vegetables. For it, whatever, you know, fruit, anyways. Uh, for it to be fruitful. Uh, Have you ever thought about why it says, now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love? Why is love the greatest one? Yeah, I think that's true. Anybody else? What was that? It will. It will. I think there's another reason to... Sorry, in this case, I am kind of looking for a specific one, but there's lots of answers. God is love. Our, our idea is to look more like Christ into ever-increasing glory. But I think the other thing is, too, so if we look back at what the definition of faith is in, in Hebrews, so faith is being certain of what you do not see, uh, sure of what you hope for, and certain of what you do not see. Well, one day we will see face-to-face, right? 
So there will be need for faith because we will be completely in the completely unveiled presence of God. Um, and hope is being sure of what you like, something that you hope for in the future. But we're going to get to a day where everything that we hope for has come to pass and everything has been redeemed and everything has been restored to the way that it was supposed to be. And so when you get to eternity, when you get to glory, what is left? Love. And so I think that whenever you build your relationships on love, what you're doing is you're building on something that is eternal. Even if it's on faith or hope, those are, those are needed. Those are, you have to have those so that you see what God's going to do through that person's life and who he's going to mature them into. Um, but I think the reason it's so important for them to be built on love is that that's, the, that's what's going to last eternity. Um, that, that's the thing that's never going away. Um, so I, I, I kind of just want to end with that. So whenever you're looking at these relationships, um, be prayerful in, uh, in all your relationships that you have. Um, bring up Christ often. You never know who's going who's gonna to take root. You, know? you never know which seeds are going to take root. Sometimes it may be the one that, are, that you would least expect to see growth in. Um, at work, bring, bring, up the, bring up Jesus. Um, if he means that much to you, you'll talk about him. You know? I think a lot of times we have a fear of saying, oh, I've got to know this person for like a year before I'm going to bring up Christ. But if he meant that much to you, you'd be talking about him all the time. Same way you talk about your wife or your husband or something. You know? um, but then like the, the context of no, no discern and pray for what type of fruit the person you're discipling is. And how, how can you help them flourish as a tomato, as, a, as an apple, as an orange? Because it's going to look slightly different, but the, what, what is going to be present in every relationship that is built on the Spirit and built on love is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Think that if you're looking for those things in the lives of your kids or in whoever you're discipling, that's how you, have a, that's how you can discern that there's growth there. Not whether or not they can preach or they can teach or they have the gift of encouragement or all of these other things. Those are going to depend on the gifts of that person. But if you look for, are they growing in love? Are they growing in joy? Are they growing in peace? And all the other fruits of the Spirit, I think that you're going to have a, it's going to be easier to discern what type of fruit they'll be and how to help them flourish. Um, and there's lots of other stuff we could talk about, uh, but we're not going to. Um, so I'm going to pray for us real quick and be done. Lord, uh, we're so thankful for you uh, and for uh, everything that you've done for us, how you came down to earth and uh, you showed us what it meant, what, what you meant, um, God. You showed us how to love you, uh, how to love others. God, I'm so thankful that you have already started building your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that you will continue to do that and that you will use us to do that in the ways and the gifts that you've given us, God. Um, Lord, I, I just pray that you will continue to build us up and strengthen us. I pray that you will remind us that you did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline, God. Um, you have blessed us. You have given us every good gift that we need uh, for life of godliness. God, I pray that people will see our good, our good deeds and glorify you in heaven. I pray that you will um, empower us to fill the earth with your glory. Pray that if you've called us to go to another country, that we'll go. If you've called us to be here and plant, or to grow where we've been planted, I pray that we will do that. Um, God, I just pray that you uh, continue to grow within us your spirit uh, so that we will boldly do your works. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
All right. Thank you to Kevin for taking his Sunday to come spend time with us and teach. And man, are there a lot of great ideas in here. Now, as Kevin alluded to, if you heard him, uh, I thought we were doing how to share the gospel. I think he thought we were doing how to disciple. And really, those two are related. I think we sometimes maybe split those two apart more than we should. And I, and I guess what I mean by that is, is that if your goal is only to share the gospel and then leave it alone, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And I think his garden analogy is, is well put in that if you think of sharing the gospel as you know putting the seed in the ground to get it started, um, the discipleship is the part that follows. And so if the goal is a fruit, which I guess would be a mature Christian, um, putting a seed in the ground and just hoping it's going to grow, it's probably not going to work most of the time. So I think the two are certainly married. So we, yes, we need to share the gospel with those that have not heard it. Uh, we also need to commit to discipleship, uh, both with new Christians and, and old alike. And we also need to commit to being disciples ourselves and putting ourselves around people that can teach us and help us grow. Uh, really a great series. I enjoyed it very much and uh, am now motivated certainly to read my Bible and to pray more often and also share the gospel and disciple. Uh, as I alluded to in the intro, we are going to probably take somewhat of a break from the podcast for a little bit as we do an intimacy series. Like I said, if it's appropriate, we will podcast that. And if not, we'll be back in a few weeks. We're not going anywhere. And if you're in the Memphis area on a Sunday morning, please come visit us 10 a.m. here at Highland Church of Christ uh, in the Bridge Builders classroom. Hope you have a wonderful week. I'm sure God will bless you this week in many ways. And uh, my prayers are with you. Have a great week. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.